Chapter Seven of Quicksand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Quicksand, by Nella Larson. Chapter Seven. Having finally turned her attention to Helga Crane, Fortune now seemed determined to smile, to make amends for her shameful neglect. One had, Helga decided, only to touch the right button, to press the right spring in order to attract the jade's notice. For Helga that spring had been Mrs. Hay's roar. Ever afterwards, on recalling that day on which, with well-nigh empty purse and apprehensive heart, she had made her way from the Young Women's Christian Association to the Grand Boulevard home of Mrs. Hay's roar, always she wondered at her own lack of astuteness, in not seeing in the woman someone who, by a few words, was to have a part in the shaping of her life. The husband of Mrs. Hay's roar had at one time been a dark thread in a soiled fabric of Chicago's south-side politics, who, departing this life hurriedly and unexpectedly, and a little mysteriously, and somewhat before the whole of his suddenly acquired wealth had had time to vanish, had left his widow comfortably established with money and some of that prestige which in negro circles had been his. All this Helga had learned from the secretaries at the Y and from numerous remarks dropped by Mrs. Hayes Roar herself, she was able to fill in the details more or less adequately. On the train that carried them to New York, Helga had made short work of correcting and condensing the speeches which Mrs. Hayes Roar as a prominent race-woman and an authority on the problem was to deliver before several meetings of the annual convention of the Negro Women's League of Clubs, convening the next week in New York. These speeches proved to be merely patchworks of others' speeches and opinions. Helga had heard other lecturers say the same things in Devon and again in Naxos. Ideas, phrases, and even whole sentences and paragraphs were lifted bodily from previous orations and published works of Wendell Phillips, Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington, and other doctors of the race's ills. For variety, Mrs. Hayes' roar had seasoned hers with a peppery dash of Du Bois and a few vinegary statements of her own. Aside from these, it was, Helga reflected, the same old thing. But Mrs. Hayes' roar was to her, after the first short, awkward period, interesting. Her dark eyes, bright and investigating, had, Helga noted, a humorous gleam and something in the way she held her untidy head gave the impression of a cat watching its prey, so that when she struck, if she so decided, the blow would be unerringly effective. Helga, looking up from a last reading of the speeches, was aware that she was being studied. Her employer sat leaning back, the tips of her fingers pressed together, her head a bit on one side, her small inquisitive eyes boring into the girl before her and as the train hurled itself frantically towards smoke-infested Newark, she decided to strike. "'Now tell me,' she commanded, "'how is it that a nice girl like you can rush off on a wild goose-chase like this at a moment's notice? I should think your people'd object, or make inquiries or something.' At that command Helga Crane could not help sliding down her eyes to hide the anger that had risen in them. Was she to be forever explaining her people? or lack of them. But, she said courteously enough, even managing a hard little smile, "'Well, you see, Mrs. Hayes Roar, I haven't any people. There's only me, so I can do as I please.' "'Ha!' said Mrs. Hayes Roar. Terrific, thought Helga Crane, the power of that sound from the lips of this woman. 
How, she wondered, had she succeeded in investing it with so much incredulity? If you didn't have people, you wouldn't be living. Everybody has people, Miss Crane, everybody. I haven't, Mrs. Hayes Roar. Mrs. Hayes Roar screwed up her eyes. Well, that's mighty mysterious, and I detest mysteries. She shrugged, and into those eyes there now came with alarming quickness and accusing criticism. It isn't, Helga said defensively, a mystery. It's a fact, and a mighty unpleasant one. Inconvenient, too. And she laughed a little, not wishing to cry. Her tormentor, in sudden embarrassment, turned her sharp eyes to the window. She seemed intent on the miles of red clay sliding past. After a moment, however, she asked gently, "'You wouldn't like to tell me about it, would you? It seems to bother you. And I'm interested in girls.' Annoyed, but still hanging for the sake of the twenty-five dollars to her self-control, Helga gave her head a little toss, and flung out her hands in a helpless, beaten way. Then she shrugged. What did it matter? "'Oh, well, if you really want to know. I assure you it's nothing interesting. Or nasty,' she added maliciously. "'It's just plain horrid. For me.' And she began mockingly to relate her story. But as she went on, again she had that sore sensation of revolt, and again the torment which she had gone through loomed before her as something brutal and undeserved. Passionately, tearfully, incoherently, the final words tumbled from her quivering, petulant lips. The older woman still looked out of the window, apparently so interested in the outer aspect of the drab sections of the Jersey manufacturing city through which they were passing, that, the better to see, she had now so turned her head that only an ear and a small portion of cheek were visible. During the little pause that followed Helga's recital, the faces of the two women, which had been bare, seemed to harden. It was almost as if they had slipped on masks. The girl wished to hide her turbulent feeling, and to appear indifferent to Mrs. Hayes Roar's opinion of her story. The woman felt that the story, dealing as it did with race intermingling and possibly adultery, was beyond definite discussion. For among black people, as among white people, it is tacitly understood that these things are not mentioned, and therefore they do not exist. Sliding adroitly out from under the precarious subject to a safer, more decent one, Mrs. Hayes Roar asked Helga what she was thinking of doing when she got back to Chicago. Had she anything in mind? Helga, it appeared, hadn't. The truth was she had been thinking of staying in New York. Maybe she could find something there. Everybody seemed to. At least she could make the attempt. Mrs. Hayes Roar sighed, for no obvious reason. Hum, maybe I can help you. I know people in New York. Do you? No. New York's the lonesomest place in the world if you don't know anybody. It couldn't possibly be worse than Chicago, said Helga savagely, giving the table support a violent kick. They were running into the shadow of the tunnel. Mrs. Hayes Roar murmured thoughtfully, You'd better come uptown and stay with me for a few days. I may need you. Something may turn up. It was one of those vicious mornings, windy and bright. There seemed to Helga, as they emerged from the depths of the vast station, to be a whirling malice in the sharp air of this shining city. Mrs. Hayes Roar's words about its terrible loneliness shot through her mind. She felt its aggressive unfriendliness. Even the great buildings, 
the flying cabs, and the swirling crowds seemed manifestations of purposed malevolence. And for that first short minute she was awed and frightened and inclined to turn back to that other city, which, though not kind, was yet not strange. This New York seemed somehow more appalling, more scornful, in some inexplicable way even more terrible and uncaring than Chicago, threatening almost, ugly. Yes, perhaps she'd better turn back. The feeling passed, escaped in the surprise of what Mrs. Hayes' roar was saying. Her oratorical voice boomed above the city's roar. "'I suppose I ought really to have phoned Anne from the station. About you, I mean. Well, it doesn't matter. She's got plenty of room. Lives alone in a big house, which is something Negroes in New York don't do. They fill em up with lodgers, usually. But Anne's funny. Nice, though. You'll like her, and it will be good for you to know her if you're going to stay in New York. She's a widow, my husband's sister's son's wife. The war, you know." "'Oh,' protested Helga Crane, with a feeling of acute misgiving, "'but won't she be annoyed and inconvenienced by having me brought in on her like this? I suppose we were going to the Y, or a hotel or something like that. Oughtn't we really to stop and phone?' The woman at her side in the swaying cab smiled a peculiar, invisible, self-reliant smile, but gave Helga Crane's suggestion no other attention. Plainly she was a person accustomed to having things her way. She merely went on talking of other plans. "'I think maybe I can get you some work. With a new Negro insurance company. They're after me to put quite a tidy sum into it. Well, I'll just tell them that they may as well take you with the money.' And she laughed. "'Thanks awfully,' Helga said. But will they like it? I mean being made to take me because of the money." "'They're not being made,' contradicted Mrs. Hayes' roar. "'I intended to let them have the money anyway, and I'll tell Mr. Darling so. After he takes you. They ought to be glad to get you. Colored organizations always need more brains as well as more money. Don't worry. And don't thank me again. You haven't got the job yet, you know." There was a little silence during which Helga gave herself up to the distraction of watching the strange city and the strange crowds, trying hard to put out of her mind the vision of an easier future which her companion's words had conjured up, for as had been pointed out, it was as yet only a possibility. Turning out of the park into the broad thoroughfare of Lenox Avenue, Mrs. Hayes' roar said in a too carefully casual manner, "'And, by the way, I wouldn't mention that my people are white, if I were you. Colored people won't understand it and after all it's your own business. When you've lived as long as I have, you'll know that what others don't know can't hurt you. I'll just tell Anne that you're a friend of mine whose mother's dead. That'll place you well enough, and it's all true. I never tell lies. She can fill in the gaps to suit herself and anyone else curious enough to ask." "'Thanks,' Helga said again. And so great was her gratitude that she reached out and took her new friend's slightly soiled hand in one of her own fastidious ones and retained it until their cab turned into a pleasant tree-lined street, and came to a halt before one of the dignified houses in the centre of the block. Here they got out. In after years Helga Crane had only to close her eyes to see herself standing apprehensively in the small cream-coloured hall, the floor of which was covered with deep silver-hued carpet, to see Mrs. Hayes roar pecking the cheek of the tall, slim creature beautifully dressed in a cool green tailored frock to hear herself being introduced to my niece, Miss Gray, as 
"'Miss Crane, a little friend of mine whose mother's died, and I think perhaps a while in New York will be good for her.' To feel her hand grasped in quick sympathy, and to hear Anne Gray's pleasant voice, with its faint note of wistfulness, saying, "'I'm so sorry, and I'm glad Aunt Jeanette brought you here. Did you have a good trip? I'm sure you must be worn out. I'll have Lily take you right up—and to feel like a criminal." End of chapter 7